Welcome to Mock 10 Sports. It's December 11th, 2023 episode. Jam-packed show for you tonight. Jam-packed show. Got a guest for you here. We'll get to that in just a minute. But it, it is the best time of the year. Isn't it? It's getting cold, which usually I'm, I'm a warm weather guy. I, I personally would like to, it to be hot for summer over winter to make it easier. You know what? It's starting to get cold here where I'm at right now. It's 37 degrees. I got to go run some errands for the wife after this show. I have to go out there. I'm not mad about it. I'm always interested at the beginning of the winter, how cold it is. Fired up about that. Also fired up. We have bowl games starting this week. Granted, not a lot of them, not a lot of SEC bowls, I say, but bowl games in itself. We crowned a Heisman Trophy winner as well this past weekend. That winner was LSU's quarterback, Jaden Daniels. We'll discuss that in a little bit. We also have a fantastic guest, 247 Sports National recruiting analyst Cooper Patagna is joining us. About to send him the link right now so he can join us, and we'll get to him right off the bat. Talk a little portal and whatnot. We got a lot to discuss. We got a lot to discuss. Just letting Cooper know we just sent that. And we will wait on him to get going. But again, Cooper Patagna will join us from 247 Sports right off the bat. Talk about transfer portal, how it'll affect some teams in the SEC. So that'll be fun as well. We had some big non-conference matchups on the hardwood as well this past weekend in the SEC. Probably the best Saturday, just specific day if you take away the whole week of Feast Week and the tournaments, Battle for Atlantis, Maui Invitational. Take away that stuff. This was solely that, what, December 9th day? Great matchups. Tennessee, Illinois, Alabama, Purdue, you had Auburn, Indiana, Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Had a lot of good matchups across the board in basketball in the SEC this past week. I had a little so-so performance, a little so-so performance. But after we talk to Cooper, dig deep into this, transfer portal, we'll go around the SEC. I touch on every SEC team, how they're doing in the portal, updated news on the coaching staff standpoint some guys that are returning for the 2024 season we'll talk about Jaden Daniels why we don't need 800 Heisman voters I'll tell you why I started liking Michael Penix a little later in the week last week like I mentioned SEC basketball results SEC coming week and then we will round it out going over the SEC basketball power rankings but first like I mentioned let's get to our guy here Cooper Patagna. Coop, what up, baby? Representing the boot on the hat. How we doing, Dave? Appreciate you having me, man. No, man, I appreciate you hopping on. How's everything been? How was the big December 4th uh, transfer palooza there at 247? Pretty uh, pretty crazy. I mean, we knew it was going to be a hectic day, but we you know, we woke up to the um, Kyle McCord news, and then that kind of got things going, and then Dylan Gabriel, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of playing quarterback dominoes that kind of – uh, was the theme throughout the day ended up talking about you know the point of attack a lot um you know it's like a five and a half hour show it's a long day so That's I, I i do like it like from a preparation standpoint going from december 5th to when the first window opens and then two weeks later you got national signing day so from like a preparation uh macro level thirty thousand foot view it kind of helps you kind of tie in what teams are doing around the country Again, we got with us Cooper Patagna, known Cooper for a while, national recruiting analyst for 247 Sports. I think Cooper's unique from this perspective where he's not just a career media guy. He's actually had boots on the ground in tremendous programs. He's been, ran recruiting departments, managed rosters at places like Michigan, Oregon, Washington. Hell, we just named two out of the four 
semi, uh, CFP semifinalist. And then Oregon was just on the outside looking in on that as well. Worked at Alabama, went to school at LSU. So I think Cooper and really I think it's just smoke, right? You and him, they're the only ones that work for 247 that have actually worked in college football. So I think you bring a totally unique perspective where you see the media side, but you've also been boots on the ground, been in these recruiting staff meetings with the Jim Harbaugh's of the world, Mario Cristobal's of the world, going over, breaking down that roster. So you kind of just gave us some initial thoughts on the transfer portal. Is there any other thoughts you just think just through the first true week? I mean, I kind of – I even go back to that first Monday after the season ends where it kind of starts, but officially, as you know, December 4th. Any thoughts outside besides just some of the quarterback world, some other positions you've looked at that you like uh, that's going on in the portal so far? Yeah, I, I think the receiver room is super deep. Um, and I think that's probably a trend that, you know, we have seen the receivers, you know, I had a, a good talk with some uh, personnel directors from around the SEC and, you know, they feel very confident in terms of the quantity and the depth in the transfer portal. And that's two consecutive years that they felt that way, that in terms of, hey, if we want to go out and find a guy that's a B plus guy uh, transferring from a group of five school. Uh, there's certain programs that are going to have success doing that. So I think the receiver room is deep. Um, you know, the other room, uh, Dave, that I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that I think is just fascinating in terms of necessity a little bit more tight end. You know, I kind of saw it last year, like Cam McCormick, who we had at Oregon, man, he's been in college for, I want to say like seven years, been banged up. You know, I think trying to get another year of eligibility at Miami. Uh, but his market alone, you know, yeah, Miami had LSU, he had a handful of others. And then you think about guys like Jake Johnson out there this year, uh, a couple other tight ends as well. I think those guys are a little bit more in demand than I think people think. Um, so those rooms kind of stick out. I mean, I, I would say my other takeaway is just in general, it makes you think different about the high school rankings. Uh, the fascinating part about this, Andrew, Andrew Ivins and I were talking about this is that now it kind of brings the public uh it, it brings their eyes to a certain level of college football in terms of the player pool that maybe three or four years ago uh they wouldn't have known right so you think about ranking these players now and it's like you know there's a receiver going to georgia southern uh from hoover alabama uh jordan woolen i believe Kind of a guy just came on our radar super late. Had an okay season production-wise, but checks a lot of boxes, you know, mm -hmm. from a track and field standpoint, really legitimate baseball prospect. And you're sitting there and you're like, all right, this guy doesn't have a lot going on. But you see the way uh, it, you see the way that college football is kind of shaping. And you see uh, the, the roster movement and the fluidity and the rapidness of it. Um, it makes you kind of have a different scope of how you grade these players. Um, and as much as you've always wanted to be uh, less about the school and the program that these players are attending, that happens. It's a subconscious part of the evaluation process, right? As much as you would love to rid yourself from that. I think now with the transfer portal, it's pretty fascinating grading guys, um, you know, just saying, hey, objectively, from a metric standpoint, this guy might be signing with a group of five school, but we believe that he's got power five upside or maybe even potentially NFL upside at some point. And now the expectation is, is that if that player is good enough, somebody's going to find him, Right. Uh, yeah. So you feel pretty confident about that. So 
the the mesh between the high school and the transfer portal now more than ever is um, I think we're starting to see some trends emerge uh, that are going to change really just the whole landscape of college football in general. Sticking to this, this is going to be one of my last questions, but you kind of just tell, you just hit the tip of the iceberg for us. So again, Cooper has worked in, he's ran these departments before. So I was intrigued. I mean, you've talked off show off record before. You know, what, you're, let's just, you're back in Oregon. You're back at Michigan right now. Cooper Patagon is back in Ann Arbor. He's back in Eugene. How, what, what, what are messages? What are some plans you're presenting to a coach in today's age? Now that we, we don't have a big, data we don't have a lot of data on the portal really so we're still relatively new but we got two or three years on it so how would you manage that right now like how would you manage just a percentage just for the people out there that really don't have a ton of intel or ton of knowledge you brought up the high school guys some guys that are probably better than they are going to some group of five schools like georgia southern how would you manage the portal but also building that foundation and as you know football is one of the if not the biggest developmental sport there is out there yeah, I think it, it it's fascinating because, I, you know, I remember when 2021, so what year would that have been of the transfer portal? Uh, it was still relatively new. It was uh, before the one-time transfer. Yeah, I mean, it was – they had the portal. What the portal come out? 18, 19, I think, where you actually had the right. like database. So before, I think, 20 – the class of 2021 was my last year in college football, and I remember having the – the conversation with Mario Cristobal. And I remember at the time, I was like, okay, what do we think in terms of roster flexibility at how many scholarships we need to allocate towards the portal? And I remember it was three to four. And then I remember thinking about the next year, or maybe this number is closer to seven to eight. And mm-hmm. I thought about like, all right, well, if you're one of the top programs in the country, that number is probably, you want to be around seven to eight, right? Because uh, you don't want that many holes to begin with. Then you think about the top teams in college football. I want to say the top ranked teams, the top six ranked teams in the CFP mm-hmm. currently as they stand now. Florida State uh, was the highest last year, I think, with 12. I think that number is about right. Um, but I also think it really depends. You know, there's some contenders out there. I think brand awareness and program awareness is really important. Uh, also, where you are geographically. Uh, I mean, like, you look at Ole Miss, you know, I was talking to some people in Oxford. They took 23 transfers last year. They won 10, they won 10 games, yeah. right? So if you, if you look at the data, there were 14 teams that took 20-plus transfers last year. Seven of them went above 500, and the other seven went below, right? So if, if you're looking for some type of theme or pattern, what I would say to you is that the only theme or pattern is is that there is a multitude of variables that you have to take into consideration uh, when you start weighing out, all right, what is the correct number? And I think it is more case by case. And I think the other thing is, you know, the thing for me, if I was a personnel director to get back to your question, I think you got to lean so heavy on the offense and defensive line in terms of high school recruiting Mm -hmm. that I think you can sprinkle maybe one or two guys on each side every cycle, but that you don't, you don't want to start living there. Uh, Colorado is in this super fascinating spot. And I think Deion Sanders might be the only person to be able to thread the needle uh, because of, um, you know, I I would say who he is and him being larger in life and the way that Colorado 
and Deion Sanders has, have, have just dominated the college football headlines this season. Uh, it's almost like he's got that bat signal out there since he's arrived in Boulder and say, hey, this is what we need. Every time he steps in front of a microphone, it's basically talking uh, to any college football player out there. So I think that is a unique uh, situation. I think that's almost the exception of the rule. So um, receivers, like I talked about, I think those guys are a dime a dozen. I think, uh, Dave, you and I would both agree. I mean, the premium positions, 56% of power five starting quarterbacks this year were one-time transfers, right? Uh, so that number is going to continue to inflate as well. So, um, Cooper, you what's know, your I thought? Would, you talking about quarterback. I might interrupt. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. I just want your this question came right to my head right now. What's your thoughts on taking a high school court? If you're at one of the top premier schools, top 25 premier school in the country, you can usually probably get a pretty seasoned quarterback at some point. What's your thoughts on taking a high school quarterback at this point right now? I think yeah, I, I think you do it every year. You know, I think it, it's it's part of that. I mean, I think LSU uh, is a team that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but they're in a really fascinating situation. I think Garrett Nussmeyer uh, is certainly the guy that they expect in Baton Rouge to emerge. I still think they're looking for somebody to push him right behind him. You got Ricky Collins, uh, who's played very little. Uh, and then you have uh, Colin Hurley, who's coming in as a, uh, in, in the 2024 cycle. Right. So, um, you know, it's not the traditional age of college football and, and you just, you don't know. Right. If there's some guys out there that have some tools and some redeeming qualities, you get a little bit of context and you say, you know what, they, they might not have been in the right situation. Really, even as an insurance policy, I can tell you, we all thought at Oregon in 2020, Tyler Shuck was going to be the guy. He wasn't yeah. he wasn't ready yet. And yeah. we brought in Anthony Brown as an insurance policy because I remember from Boston. College, really, right? from Boston yeah, College. Boston College, our philosophy for that was. You know, I, me being from New Orleans, and, and it was just kind of something that kind of peaked at the time. But I remember Drew Brees ended up getting hurt. It was like the unimaginable had happened in New Orleans. This is a guy who had stayed relatively healthy his, his entire career. He ends up getting hurt going down for five or six games. I think Teddy Bridgewater comes in and the Saints run the table during that span. And it kind of, you know, shows you the importance of having that number two, a guy that can come in and kind of steady the ship a little bit. So I think, and listen, looking at Florida State too, why wouldn't you have a guy who at least has a little bit of name recognition as well? Yeah. If that guy wasn't Brock Glenn or Tate Rotomaker, and let's say it was somebody else, let's just call it Brock Vandegrift. Do yeah. you think Florida State gets in that game? Yeah, right? they're looked at, they're looked a, at definitely more. Yeah, they're looked at differently than just like you said, the true freshman block, Brock Glenn. And like you said, Rotomaker wasn't a very highly recruited kid either. Right. It's a, it's a little bit of a different dynamic. And it might be a one off because the playoffs are going from four to 12 now, you know, but um, I think so that never know. when they're bad on that 13 or 12, 13 spot, like you said. For sure. So, yeah, now I, I think now more than ever. And the last thing I'll say premium positions, right? Um, pass rushers, corners quarterbacks those guys are extremely hard to find um coop you bring up a it, good point you bring up a good point on Ole Miss from your perspective like you said it's a case-by-case -case basis even the year what in 22 last year they took a bunch of transfers started off seven and oh but then lost what six out of the last seven went ended up going with seven and five in the year it's like you said they they've been kind of one one for two so far in the transfer portal they went a seven and five season 
with a decent amount of transfer guys. And then the next year, you hit on some veteran guys in the secondary. You finished 10 and 2 with your only losses to Georgia and Alabama. So, like you said, there's in your stat would be in seven for seven. Teams are kind of below 500, or what was it? What was the exact stat again? I had it written down. Yeah, 14, 14 teams, seven above, seven below. Seven Here's above, the other seven. thing I'll say to Ole Miss. The thing that people will not realize this year when you look at Ole Miss is that you look at what Ole Miss has done through the high school ranks defensively, they're bringing in some guys that can play. Uh, yeah. The Will Leckles kid, the Camarian Franklin kid. Uh, you think about Jeffrey Rush as well. They've done a really good job at the point of attack. And the other thing that they've taken advantage of is Zach Arnett at Mississippi State. You know, I would say it's typically 60-40. Uh, that's just my view on it in terms of Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Yeah. Uh, th those recruiting battles go uh, typically pretty tight, but I think Ole Miss has turned that into an 80-20, 90-10 game uh, over the last two years or so. So if you start really getting a foothold in the state of Mississippi as well, you know, that's, that's going to be overlooked because it's not sexy. They'll have a top 25 class anywhere from 20 to 25. But I'm telling you, man, quality-wise, they've done a really good job. They're raising the floor of their team via high school, which is not really something that you see. I feel like in the state of Mississippi, how that's one of the states you evaluate, I feel like there's a lot more deep, raw, more raw ability on the defensive side of the ball in that state just from a prospect standpoint than there are a bunch of offensive players. That's kind of why I thought Mississippi State going an offensive route was good because you're not I – mean, as you know, any high school level, how many polished real – how many polished offensive linemen out of the state of Mississippi has there been in a long time? Not, not really. You know, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it's more of a raw defensive state from top to bottom. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it's ironic. I'm heading down to Hattiesburg tomorrow for the Alabama-Mississippi uh, All-Star game, which I got to be honest. I mean, I think that is the most underrated event in all of recruiting. It is absolutely stacked. I mean, you think about some of the names – that came out of that game last year, Peter Woods, Keldrick Falk, um, right, Kelby right. Collins, you go down the line, man, absolutely loaded. That was just the Alabama side. So, um, no, I, I agree with you 110%. Um, you know, Mississippi is one of those states. I mean, they, they kind of split it in half right now. But if one of those guys can gain momentum like Ole Miss has done, that's going to go a long way for them in terms of kind of building a roster. Absolutely. Coop, moving on to some other SEC schools. What are some names? What are some other programs you're feeling are kind of like heating up this early on the recruiting cycle with about another week and a half left till the early signing day? Yeah, uh, not so much the transfer side. You know, I, I've been auditing Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, um, you know, really the last week and, and have had my head there uh, dug in. But I would say Auburn, man. Auburn really is exciting me. Um, it's not the first time, uh, but it is probably uh, one of the first times that I've been able to really kind of dig on them extensively, A through Z. Very familiar with the guys at the top of the board. You know, Cam Coleman getting him from A&M, uh, flipping him an in-state guy, Perry Thompson as well. This Bryce Kane, uh, who we kind of had tucked in at the back end of the top two, four, seven, another guy, kind of a really nice compliment to those two big bodies. But, I mean, you think about Auburn, what they've done at the receiver position alone, I think it kind of gets overlooked a little bit. What Hugh Freeze did in Oxford, you know, in, in terms of those type of body types that are really similar to what he's bringing in. Jamonte Waller, they get from Mississippi, the number one player in the state of Mississippi, Demarcus Riddick. Uh, they flip from Georgia, really athletic. Uh, second they, level they flipped player. Waller from Florida, right? Flipped Waller from Florida. Riddick was originally committed to Georgia. Uh, the Walker White kid is like 
you know, 6'3", 215 from Arkansas, athletic traitsy like Will Levis. Just, you know, mm-hmm. um, if he hits, then the ceiling is going to be like top 40. Um, you know, we'll see what the floor is. We'll be at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. And you just go down the list, down the list. They've just done a really good job in quality. I think the other thing you think about is they got 20 guys committed, one of them a JUCO that they just took, 11 of them are from the state of Alabama. And Dave, you know as well as I do, but Alabama, Georgia, what comes with success is in this expanded cone of recruiting, right? Like geographically allows you to get in to some doors that maybe traditionally uh, you wouldn't be in. It is good as a uh, first year head coach now going into a second year. And I thought this with Billy Napier as well. It brings you back to the basics. A little yeah. bit, right? It, it, like you have to take care of your five to six hour radius, three hundred mile radius, as as you as you're very familiar with at Alabama. Um, Auburn has done that. They've done a tremendous job there, and I'll say that the further away you go from home, and I'm and I'm saying this in Alabama's case, the more vulnerable you are in your backyard. And I think Auburn has done a tremendous job with some of these in-state. IDs. I mean, Malik Blockton is a, a defense alignment. I like probably a guy we'll put in the top two, four, seven. It's Caleb Harris kid from Thompson has, has, has played extremely well as a senior. Uh, D'Angelo Barber, another guy I like as a high floor guy, going to be a really good program player. And then they kind of mix it in with guys like Malcolm Simmons, uh, who's a very high ceiling type of guy as well. So I, I, I got to be honest, they're one of those teams that I think you combine what they've done on the recruiting trail, I expect them to be active via the transfer portal as well. I think they're a lot closer than I think a lot of people think. Uh, and I think they can make a lot of noise this year. We'll see what they do at the quarterback position. That's kind of my my one thing. But I here's the thing. I think all Auburn under freeze is also to a point from an administrative administrative standpoint and from a collective standpoint that they're aligned. Um, so I expect them not only to make some noise over the next seven or eight days, but, you know, transfer portal wise as well, they're, they're the one team I have my eyes on that I'm like, they're, they're too quiet right now. It almost doesn't make sense in terms of the quarterback market. I, I, I expect them to really kind of be in play for one of these ballers out there that I think can kind of plug and play and maybe put them a little bit ahead of schedule next year. No, Coop, I think you hit hammer on the head with that statement. I think Hugh Freeze and Auburn right now, from a recruiting standpoint, are the biggest threat to Alabama and Nick Saban since Nick Saban's been at Alabama. I mean, they had 2011. I mean, 2011, Gene Chizik signed a pretty good class, but a lot of that was building off the momentum of their national championship in 2010. But I think this is the biggest. I mean, Gus Malzahn would sign some guys every now and then that they would go get out of Georgia. But this is, feels like, the, like you said, the first true threat because, like you said, Alabama's brand so big now. Like you, they can stretch from sea to shot, signing shit shining sea and like you said who's manning the fort back home while Auburn's building those relationships Auburn's going to be signing some guys at rod receiver that Auburn fans hadn't seen I mean who's Auburn traditionally not a big wide receiver school I mean I couldn't I mean who's the most successful NFL player to ever come from Auburn that's played wide he's he's going to change that you know I I mean the the thing is is like these two guys you can maybe even expand it to three you know the comp for us is for Cam Coleman is George Pickens. And, you know, this guy from his junior to senior year, like he's an ascending player. He's starting to figure it out. The, the, the physical clay was already there, but he doubled his production 
uh, on a state championship team playing a high level of classification there in Alabama. Perry Thompson is another guy, um, you know, like, like these uh, caliber of players that are top 32 guys that are still three phase players yep. uh, after they've kind of already been elevated through the rankings to me says a lot about their personality. Like some of the, my favorite things about Perry Thompson is what he does defensively. Um, so these guys are, they're, they're different physically and they're going to be ready to play day one. So, I mean, he, he's already changing uh, the dynamic of that offense just based on what he's doing at receiver. Like you said, like when's the last time Auburn had the guy and now in one cycle, they might have two of them. Cooper, get last question for you here. And again, Cooper Patagna with us, national recruiting analyst from 247 Sports. Again, I think Cooper's unique from a standpoint is he's not just your traditional media guy. There's nothing. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but he's actually lived it, breathed it to some extent. It's been his life for 10 years. So I, I, that's where I think you bring a great perspective from that standpoint. But last question, Cooper, we get you out of here again. Appreciate you taking the time. Give us some feedback if, if you watch these guys yet because I know you got a ton going on with the high school standpoint in the early Sunday, but the feedback for Brock Vandergriff going to Kentucky and the Taylor Green go, kid going to Arkansas, coming over from Boise State, what's what's some initial thoughts for some Kentucky fans, Arkansas fans, as they're receiving those commitments here last week? Yeah, you know, I, I had had a brief introduction to Vandergriff. I mean, I think I was at, I was at Oregon still, so that wasn't a guy that really kind of came across the yeah. radar. I think we did some kind of – loose vetting uh, of Vandegrift at that point. Uh, but what I remember was, you know, here's a guy, big, athletic, six foot two, six foot three plus, could run, played a lower level of comp, I believe, out of the state of Georgia. And to me, he was kind of, he was a, a kind of a one speed guy. Uh, the biggest question mark I always had with him was his ability to kind of change velocities, layer the football and play with touch, anticipation and accuracy. Um, that being said, it doesn't mean that's not a guy that you can't win with. Right. Um, the other side of that is we just haven't seen a lot of them, right. The little tape that I watched off of PFF, I liked, I thought he did some good things. You know, I think he's got some gamer to him. Uh, but other than that, you know, don't have too much of an opinion. Um, the tailing green one's pretty interesting. I, I worked with Bush Hamden, uh, tailing greens, offense coordinator, uh, when I was at Washington, um, Green and Bush obviously worked together at, at Boise uh, over the last year or so. And, you know, here's a guy you turn on the tape, you watch the uh, last two games of the season, UNLV, and you watch the Air Force game, and you see this big six foot five, 220 pound long athletic kid. Kind of reminds you of Matt Jones a little bit. I think you might have said that on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you know, does some things that really impress you. Uh, I think the other thing is, I want to say he was 11 and nine TD to INT this year. Um, so I think the biggest thing, you know, talking to Bush at Boise was, you know, the, the turnover issues, right. Just cleaning it up a little bit. Was he going to be able to do the things that they needed to do within the structure of the offense when they're down, uh, you know, two or three possessions to some of the better opponents on their schedule. So, uh, that being said, man, like, you know, we've seen it a lot of different places. You never know what the ingredient is that makes these guys click, you know, whether yeah. it's Shade Daniels at LSU, uh, whether it's Bo Nix at Oregon and the list kind of goes on and on. You know, the other thing is, is the top passers, the top six passers in the FBS this year were all transfer quarterbacks. And, you know, the, the stat that I go back to is like over 50% of the starters at that position are transfers, right? So that shouldn't be that much of a surprise uh, anymore. But, you know, I think the other thing 
uh, that you think about with him is, you know, he's got a couple years left to play, right? So if yeah. they get the right guy, uh, you think about that jump Jaden Daniels made from year one to year two. A lot of people thought, all right, this is a guy that's really not going to challenge the deep part of the field. He completely did. I mean, he turned that narrative yeah. on its head, uh, you know, from his first to second season at Baton Rouge. So I do think this is a guy that's got some developmental upside, uh, but they're going to have to play within his strengths uh, in his first year at, at Arkansas. Coop, I appreciate you joining us again, guys. National recruiting analyst, 247 Sports, Cooper Patagna, taking the time. Appreciate you, Coop. You gave us 28 solid minutes, brother. I appreciate <laughs> it. Signing day next Wednesday, guys. This is when your team is building their roster and future rosters for the next year and into the future next two years. So, Cooper, no one better coming on here, talking recruiting, talking some SEC football. He's worked in it, lived it for a decade. Coop, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, Dave. Later, brother. Again, Cooper Patagna joining us from 247 Sports. Does a phenomenal job. Fantastic guy. Great from an from a scouting standpoint. Does a phenomenal job breaking it down, understanding what he's looking at, how it fits into certain systems. Got a ton of networking. Talked to a ton of people. Again, has worked at numerous different places. Went to LSU, worked at Washington, Michigan, Oregon. Uh, and now works for 247 Sports and does a fantastic job evaluating the Southeast for them. So I appreciate him, appreciate him taking the time joining us tonight but again the show must roll on let's go around the sec first texas a&m i don't think we talked about it last thursday and i apologize hiring colin klein offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach from k-state i think this is a pretty good fit for mike elko similar personalities if you don't remember colin klein played quarterback at k-state was there with bill snyder stayed with chris Kleiman. had heard from people that know him pretty well that he, he got offers every year and entertained it i don't really think he was real fired up with how Kleiman's setup was Sounds like Texas A&M was the perfect job, perfect fit. I like the hire. The system will be interesting there. Speaking of Kansas State, it's been Texas, the the Manhattan, the College Station train here. Uh, I guess corner Will Blanket Lee from K-State may have hopped on the same jet with Colin Klein on his way to College Station. I doubt it. I'm just saying that. But he committed to Texas A&M Blanket. Blanket. I, mean, I hadn't heard that name in a while. I think Michael Jackson's kid was named Blanket. But interesting Stay a name there. Well, I mean, I get it. Blanket uh, covering people like he's a blanket on a, on some of these receivers. But Will Blanket Lee from Kansas State committed to Texas A&M. Arkansas, we just talked about it. Getting a commitment from Boise State quarterback Taylor Green. Uh, Green up and down season, as me and Cooper talked about in 2023, hitting 57% of his passes for 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns, and nine interceptions, while also rushing for 436 yards and nine touchdowns. From Louisville, Texas, had an up-and-down season. Like I said, started the first five games, played the next five as a backup, then started again and finished strong to close out the season. So in his final three contests, 67%, 547 yards and five touchdowns. Was MVP of the Mountain West Conference championship game. Crazy. I mean, Boise State fired their coach and ended up winning the conference. It's, it's crazy, but solid get for Taylor Green. That'll be Bobby Petrino's first experiment at quarterback back in Fayetteville. Mississippi State wide receiver Xavier Thomas will be visiting LSU. Uh, again, LSU's had some success with some transfer portal guys throughout the SEC, but still waiting. You had uh, Aaron Anderson from Alabama and Shaz Preston. They didn't really do a ton this past year. In 2023, maybe they have a big bowl game, but we'll be interested to see how Xavier Thomas uh, responds to that. I mean, he had a pretty solid year for being – a part of the 13th, I think, 
Mississippi State finished 13th out of 14th in the SEC in passing. So it'll be interesting from that standpoint. Mississippi State received two big commitments on Sunday. 2024 quarterback Michael Van Buren from St. Francis in Baltimore, Maryland. And Mario Carver, wide receiver from Clay Chalkville High School right outside Alabama. So Jeff Levy and the boys right off the bat. Exciting young guy who is an offensive coach, like I said. What two positions do these guys play? Quarterback, most important position in sports. If you're a frequent visitor to this show, you hear me say that all the time. And a big-time wide receiver that Alabama was sniffing around, Mario Craver from Clay Chalkville in Birmingham. Two big gets for Jeff Levy and the boys. Auburn got a commit from Snow College offensive tackle Seth Wilford, the 6'6", 295 prospect committed to Auburn today. Me and Cooper talked about it. The premium positions, edge rushers and Offensive tackles, guys that can protect the quarterback, really offensive linemen in general. Teams are going to stretch on some of these guys. Like I mentioned, the Southern Miss offensive line transfer, I forget his name every time, and I apologize. But he was an all right player when I went on and turned on the film. But, again, it's a position of need. People are going to stretch, overpay. I mean, I think in today's game we can say they overpay now. But speaking of pay, fantastic collective we got going on here with Walker Jones and Ole Miss, the Grove Collective. Ole Miss – Gets Trey Harris announced he was coming back today, along with Micah Pettis announcing he's coming back. Sounds like Ole Miss has got the advantage with wide receiver, uh, South Carolina wide receiver transfer Juice or Antoine Juice Wells. And then Florida edge defender, their best edge rusher from this past year, Princely Yuma Malayan is visiting Ole Miss as we speak right now. No one's had a better day than Ole Miss. No one has had a better day than Ole Miss. Like I said, shout out to the Grove Collective. And Walker Jones, who played at Ole Miss, who's over it. Ole Miss and Auburn, from an outside perspective, again, I haven't seen all 14 teams, war chest, as I call it, or collective. But it sounds like those two are on the same page from an organization standpoint. It sounds like them and the football program, the collective at both Auburn and, and Ole Miss, are on the same page with their football programs and their head coach, Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin. But, man, Ole Miss definitely won the day today. A lot of great news coming out of Oxford. Alabama defensive lineman Ann Quinn Barnes, Entering the portal, spent three years in Tuscaloosa. Solid depth player, just couldn't get on the field. This isn't real shocking. Florida announces Will Harris, new secondary coach member, Corey Raymond, former DB coach. Most people know him from LSU, but he was at Florida. was first two years under Billy Napier. Uh, but Will Harris replacing him, coming over from the Los Angeles Rams, was Georgia Southern's defensive coordinator, was the secondary coach at Washington. Just a big announcement. Younger guy, 36 years old, should do a solid job for it's a must-have year for Billy Napier next year. Let's call, let's call it what it is. But speaking of Florida, landed a defensive tackle, Brian Taylor from Blinn Community College. It used to be when you signed a Juco kid, you wanted him to play immediately. A lot of these teams are using these guys now as just depth pieces, just depth pieces. Corner sticking around around the SEC. Corner Julian Humphrey sounded like he may enter the portal for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, so it'll be interesting from that perspective. Speaking of corner, going over to Knoxville, Tennessee, Danico Slaughter entered the portal over the weekend. Kamal Hayden, probably going to go to the portal. So it sounds like a lot of Tennessee's production in the back end. There's a veteran crew who's going to be entering the portal, testing that water. Tennessee got good news, though, similar to Ole Miss, getting an offensive lineman back and offensive tackle Gerald Mincy, announcing he will be back for the 2024 season. So some good and bad news in Knoxville for Josh Heupel and his squad. Missouri gets a big commitment from Georgia State running back Marcus Carroll, trying to replace the leading rusher in the SEC, Cody Schrader, who had a fantastic season in 2023. It's a big get for Eli Drinkwitz in them. Ran for over 1,300 yards and 13 touchdowns. 
South Carolina received a big commit from Coastal Carolina wide receiver Jared Brown. Honorable mention uh, in the Sun Belt last year had 58 catches for 740 yards, four touchdowns. Six foot, 190 guy, 190 guy had 252 yards rushings on 15 carries and throw a touchdown in there as well. So another solid piece for South Carolina. Defensive tackle Jerome Simmons. From Highland Community College committed to the Gamecocks and Shane Beamer as well. So do two big commitments for South Carolina. And then wrapping it up, going to Nashville. Last stop around the SEC here. Vanderbilt getting some commitments on the back end in the secondary. Vanderbilt received two of them. TCU transfer Randon Fontenet and then Wyoming transfer Colby Taylor. I think Fontenet played in every game but was not a starter at TCU. And then the Wyoming transfer Colby Taylor looking at it, I think started eight out of the nine games. I'm hearing Vanderbilt may be investing a lot of money in NIL, maybe raising that. But the big issue for the doors, as we all know, are they going to drop those academic standards for their athletes? I don't know that. I mean, again, it's one of the best universities in the country. Those presidents usually just don't bend to the knee at a school like Vanderbilt or Duke like that just for athletics. This is that'll be the big part. They can have all the money in the world, but if you can't get these kids into school, it doesn't matter. But again, two big commits. For the Vanderbilt Commodores, Randon Fontenet from TCU and Colby Taylor from Wyoming. And that's a trip around the SEC. Some coaching updates, like I mentioned. Will Harris, new secondary coach at Florida. And we touched on every other team in the portal. Not a lot of portal news, though, out of Kentucky. So it was the other, only team I didn't mention from that perspective. Still keep an eye on Texas A&M staff. Mike Elko still building it. He's offered the job to a couple of his Duke guys. Tyler Santucci, his defense coordinator, he declined him. Was hiring his Duke strength coach, but he said no. I don't know why, but the staff's slowly being built, slowly be, being built. Uh, brought on secondary coach Ishmael Artside, who I've worked with at Auburn. Fantastic recruiter, fantastic developer. He'll do a great job. And then I like the Colin Klein hire, the offensive coordinator position. But outside of that, not a lot of hires for Mike Elko and his first staff at Texas A&M, but we will keep you updated on that. Let's go to New York City. Let's go back in time. Let's go Jaden Daniels. I don't have to tell you. He won the Heisman on Saturday night, and they got it right, I believe. But let me tell you, I started thinking a little bit more of Michael Penix, though, as we as Saturday got closer. I would have voted for Jaden Daniels. I think he won it. I think people are penalizing him because they lost three games to Alabama, Florida State, and who am I missing? And Ole Miss. But Michael Penix, fantastic year. I mean, he really did have a fantastic year. And some people are like, well, Joe, I got asked on a show should Jordan Travis win the Heisman since they got left out because he wasn't at or he was because he got left out? Florida State got left out because he did he wasn't there and he wouldn't be able to play because he was hurt. So that's a fair statement, but I also thought that boosted up Michael Penix his Heisman argument as well because he finished the season with a fantastic led the the best passing attack in the country. This Washington offense that I think has a fantastic matchup against Texas right now. I'm leaning towards. Picking Washington. I think overall Texas may be the better team, but I, you can see on DC, on January 1st in New Orleans, it's a big mismatch. Washington and Michael Penix got the advantage over Texas secondary. That's another conversation for another day. But Michael Penix has been as important as anyone else. Undefeated 13-0 power, power 5 team. I think you could have easily made an argument with him, but I think you got it right with Jaden Daniels. Let me bring up – let me share the screen here, the final Heisman voting – uh, where do we go? Final Heisman voted. Pull it up. Pull it up for him. Here we go. Let me share it. 
had it pulled up here. Is it going to pull it up? Oh, I don't know why it's not pulled up there. Let's, let's refresh this thing. Had it pulled up. I maybe accidentally. All right, here we go. All right, so as you can see, Jaden Daniels won it. No surprise. Then you had Michael Penix Jr. finishing second, Bo Nix third, Marvin Harrison fourth, Marvin Harrison Jr. fourth, Jordan Travis fifth, Jalen Milrow sixth, seventh, Ollie Gordon, the running back from Oklahoma State, eighth, Cody Schrader, ninth, Blake Corum, and tenth, J.J. McCarthy. Michigan having two guys in there. My thing I have is here is who who is voting for the Heisman in here? Who is voting? We have over – I looked it up. We have over 800 voters in the, in, in, at vote on the Heisman Trophy right now. And I thought about this. It would probably be an equivalent to something. I'm going to take this off and stop sharing for a minute. It would probably be even an equivalent. Think about this: 800 people voting for the Heisman. You think all 800 of those people are really locked in to college football and actually watch the sport, go back and watch the games and stuff like that? I go back and watch everything. This, see, my wife's always like, "Man, you got to work a lot on Sunday. You got seven games to watch." A lot of people will just go watch the highlights and stuff. I don't do that, again, not toot my own horn. I'm not mad about being a Heisman voter. I'd expect to do that in my first two years of building Mach 10 sports. But we will one day. We will one day be a Heisman voter. Guarantee it. But right now, who are these 800 people? It, it would be like I didn't go to a big high school. I graduated with about 75, 80 kids. Um, but, you know, I, I went to the University of Alabama with a bunch of guys in my fraternity that – and some guys I worked with at football there that graduated with guys, 400, 500 guys in their class – I equate, equate it to this. When they go back and flip through their yearbook, they're going to be like, I don't know, recognize that guy. I don't recognize that guy. I don't recognize who is that guy. I feel like if you gave me a list of all the 800 voters on the Heisman, I would do the same thing. Now, for me, I graduated with 65, 70 people. I could tell you probably about a single interaction I had with everybody I graduated with. 65, 70 people, most people could. That's not too much. But if I went to one of the, a big high school with five, like anywhere from 400 to 600 kids I graduated with, if I went back and opened my yearbook from 2008, I wouldn't be able to – I'd be like, who is that? Who is that? I guarantee you at least, bare minimum, 50, 60 kids. That's how I would feel and I feel like most of the country would feel if you gave me a list of the Heisman voters out of those 800 people. My point being, there is no way in Haiti you have 800 people that have a real pulse – on the sport of college football right now that should have a vote in the most important individual award in sports. I said it in the most important individual award in sports. You can't tell me there are 800 quality or deserving people who should vote on that. They're, they're just not just the way they vote and stuff. I don't, and again, I think they got it right with Jane Daniels. You could have made a case with Michael Penix for me. And you could have been exactly right. It's not about the results. It's just about 800. There's no way in Haiti the way we vote on awards and stuff right now, we have people who really don't care about the sport, first of all, don't really know what they're looking at right now. And that's been a big point of conversation recently because I've been getting into it with all the Twitter warriors about eye tests, what has to matter, why the hell would even at, watch the games. Um, and then I just think, you know what, people would invest time going back and watching the games and actually have an understanding of like, hey, who is the new coordinator? Who is who's the quarterback? Who's the quarterback behind them? What kind of offensive system are they running? Is the, is the head coach aggressive or not? Is he like Dan Lanning? Stuff like that. I don't feel like people really talk about. But, again, not going to get on my soapbox there. Just talking about – I think they got it right. Jaden Daniels won it. Michael Penix is right after him. Um, 
and my issue is just how we vote, how many voters after I looked that up. I was like, what the 800 people? You can't tell me there's 800 people out there with the way they voted, not only this year, but in the past, that really have a real pulse on college football and deserve to have that vote. Because you need to take that vote serious. It's the most important individual award in sports. I don't care what people say. I don't. Sorry, went, went on my soapbox there. Let me get a sip of water. I promise you, we're not going much longer tonight, guys. Stick with me, though. Take off your shoes. Put on your basketball shoes here. We're heading to the hardwood. We had a big weekend in, in, the, in the college basketball and in the SEC specifically. Let's go back. Let me go review these matchups from this past Saturday, the December 9th slate, and briefly go over those for you. Starting on Saturday, so starting off early and hot in the Thanksgiving Hoops Classic and a Hoops Giving Hoops Classic, the 10-30 tip-off. But Mississippi State, who was barely getting over 65 points in their last two losses to Georgia Tech and Southern University, goes and almost doubles that in a single game against a solid two-lane team, 106. Mississippi State putting 106 points up. The Hubbard kid, man, unbelievable. Shooting lights out. I mean, unbelievable. Josh Hubbard shot lights out, but – Mississippi State bouncing back, one of the best offensive productions in years for them, especially since the Jans era. I know it's only been two years, but 30-point win against Tulane. Kentucky getting a solid win against a pin team. They look solid. Aaron Bradshaw came back. has been hurt. I think Kentucky's got the highest ceiling in the league. I mean, Reed Shepard, true freshman, shooting lights out from beyond the arc. Aaron Bradshaw's coming back. Um, you got Mitchell down there. Antonio Reeves firing it up. You got D.J. Wagner. It, Kentucky may win this league. I'm telling you, this is Cal's highest ceiling team since probably the 14-15 Kentucky team that didn't lose a game. And I'm not saying they're like that team. I think it's the highest upside team they have. Watch out. Watch out. I'm telling you. South Carolina getting a 68-62 win over a solid East Carolina team. Nothing to ride home to your mom about. But there was a trap game for South Carolina. They dropped a heartbreaker to Clemson earlier in the week. that They probably felt like they should have won. It was their first loss. And South Carolina and Lamont Pierce are tremendously improved. Love what they are doing. Michi Johnson leading that team. BJ Mack brings a whole different perspective for that team. Great passer, can shoot from beyond the arc. This was a trap game. Could have soaked in, but you didn't. And you went on the road and got a solid win. This loss could have hurt you, but instead you avoided that. It's a mature team. Uh, then you went Illinois, headed to Tommy Bowl, Thompson Bowling Arena, Tennessee. One of their better performances of the season, in my opinion. Beating a solid Illinois team coached by Brad Underwood. 86-79, got an early win. Great job by Rick Barnes and that team. Dalton Connect really doing it all for that team. Great pickup for them, but a big win for Tennessee. LSU dropping another one at home to Kansas State back-to-back -back years. K-State, Jerome Tang and the boys getting a 75-60 win over LSU. Don't have a lot to say about that one. LSU, man, we'll get to the power rankings here. They'll be at the bottom. LSU fans were a little fired up. I, I didn't put them last. I'll warn you on that. Uh, Alabama. Dropped a tough one in Toronto in Zach Eady's hometown, 92-86. Alabama will score anybody, but yes, any decent team with a pulse they play, they've given up 85-plus. Even in a win against a solid Oregon team, they gave up 91. But to Oregon, Ohio State, Clemson, and now Purdue, they've given up a ton of points. They've given up a ton of points. So that's the issue for Alabama. They're, they're number two off, uh, offensive efficiency team in the league. They're number – or number two in the country. They're 85th, I think, defensive efficiency in the country. It's just all over the place right now. Alabama has one of the higher ceilings in the league if they get better. Again, Zach Eady just dominated, dropped 35. He was his homecoming. But I was actually impressed a little bit at the front court. They got in trouble. They got in trouble with fouls early. But I thought 
a guy like Muhammad Wiggy grew in this game. He grew, which I think I'm not upset with that Alabama loss. I was actually impressed with this. This is a game they got out, but they were up 11 early. They were up at half. They were up. They took the lead by one with about three and a half, four minutes ago. A game they certainly could have won. I just don't think officials know how to ref Zach Eady. I mean, there's no three seconds in the lane anymore. You can camp out 10 seconds. There's not a lot of guys down there like him at play like a true post back to the wall guy. Uh, he never gets called for fouls in the first 30 minutes, but Alabama has three or four guys in foul trouble while he doesn't get called for 30 minutes. If I was Nate Oates, I'd have been, he, got te- he got teed up ultimately in that game, but I would have been on the ref's tails about the three seconds. Like, do we not call that anymore? Just because the refs don't see true bigs like that anymore, play their back to the goal? I don't know. It's something to be fair about. But if you're Alabama, you're not discouraged. This loss ain't going to hurt you. It's a game they could have won, though. And I think they need one of these next two. I think they need to finish two and two down the stretch here. And they got at Arizona or Arizona and Phoenix. It's a, it's a neutral site, but essentially a road game on Wednesday night at 10 o'clock, randomly enough. And they go to Creighton on Saturday. I think Creighton's a very winnable game for them. And they still got Liberty to finish out. I think they need to go two and one in those. And they need to get two out of those three. You feel solid. But, again, I was impressed with Alabama, especially offensively. Mark Sears went off. Grant Nelson played, even though he's banged up. Left encouraged by Alabama. I think this this game will test them. This three this three game stretch between Purdue, Arizona, and Creighton will definitely make them better by season's end. Auburn looking impressive, getting a 104-76 win in the afternoon cap of that hoops giving uh, tournament in Atlanta at State Farm Arena that Tulane and Mississippi State played in. Auburn was down 11 right off the bat, and just man, Jalen Williams had a hell of a game. Auburn and Aiden uh, Holloway. Auburn shot better than they have all year in this game. Beating up on probably not a real – I think Indiana's in trouble. I don't think they're a tournament team. But Auburn, nonetheless, put a 104-76 beat down on them. Their impressive, most impressive win of the season. Oklahoma, P- Porter Mosier and the boys, they're, they're solid, man. They beat up on Alabama last year in the middle of the year. Yeah, you remember that in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. But Oklahoma getting a 79-70 win in Tulsa over Arkansas. Musk gets ejected. Eric Musselman gets ejected. Javon Brazil – Played a little bit, didn't look healthy. Arkansas, must still trying to figure it out. Usually, though, they're a little bit better at this point in the year. They struggled at the very beginning of conference play. But Oklahoma, real team this year. They're undefeated, I believe, right now. I like what Oklahoma's doing. Arkansas is still offensively. I just don't see the outside perimeter shooting that we thought was improved like we did at the beginning of the year. Big win for Oklahoma, future SEC team. Arkansas, you have to go gather it up, boys. And oh, Florida, didn't watch much of this game, but got the 87-76 win over the Richmond Spiders. I, I did watch Richmond earlier in the year. This is not your traditional five, six seed Richmond Spider team. It's not. That could get a 11-12 seed in the NCAA tournament or get the, knock them off, upset them earlier is what I mean. But Richmond, usually solid. But, again, Florida still trying to figure out that lineup. Walter Clayton, the I, Iona transfer, doing it for him. Tyrese Samuel. I still think Todd Golden's trying to figure out that rotation. Right now, they may go 8-10 deep. I still think they're trying to figure that out. Could see that heading to conference play. Then the last one, Kansas getting the 73-64 win in Allen Fieldhouse. Missouri competed. They're not better in Kansas, but they've improved since that loss to Jackson State that will haunt them all season. Got to give credit to Dennis Gates for that. And Sunday's action, We had Ole Miss, the only undefeated team left in the SEC, gets a big win over a solid Big 12 team in UCF, the 70-68 win. Muhammad Cisse is a – Musa Cisse, sorry, is a tremendous impact player for Ole Miss. Ole Miss, you better watch out. They may be undefeated. They may – let's look at the schedule. They may be undefeated 
heading into conference play. And I think they will. That trip, their first game is at Tennessee. Yeah. So, I mean, they got Cal, Troy at Southern Miss and Bluffy, Mississippi, Bryant at Tennessee. They're going to be favored. They'll be favored to be undefeated heading into that Knoxville uh, matchup. And they're going to have a good showing in there. But Ole Miss, Chris Beard, man, people killed me. Be like, you would hire that guy? Ole Miss did it right. They hired him on the week of the of the NCAA tournament. No one really talked about it. No one really talked about it. So I don't think it's as big of a deal as people thought. And then finally, Memphis, a team Ole Miss has beat. Memphis 2-1 against the SEC has beaten Arkansas. Now Texas A&M with Memphis getting the 81-75 win. Former SEC players, uh Javon Quinterly, former Alabama point guard, and Jaquan Walton, who was on Alabama's team for a possession before he got a possession of marijuana. Alabama kicked him off. So two former Alabama players, older team from Memphis, going on the road, getting a big win for Texas A&M. Where does the scoring come from consistently, though, for Ole Miss? I mean, uh, for Texas A&M. I mean, Wade Taylor, could it come for him? Sure. I, just after that, I don't really see it. Tyrese Boots-Radford, he's been injured a little bit. Uh, Henry Coleman, maybe. AM is going to be that team I could see really struggle in the road. They kind of sense that team to me because I don't think they're going to get the – remember, Buzz Williams and his team love picking up fouls, getting their points at the free throw line. They're not going to get that on the road with the calls. It's just a natural – it's just how it goes in the SEC and really college basketball in general and bas- the sport of basketball in general. You don't expect to get the calls or the free throws you would at home. But, again, massive weekend for the SEC. So, so solid performance. But let's go through the week, the updated schedule heading into this week. Through Thursday for you. Tomorrow you got Georgia Southern Tennessee at 6 p.m. on the SEC Network. Should be another solid win for Tennessee. You got some good ones. You got on Wednesday, right? Uh, let me see. Yeah, there we go. So on Wednesday, Murray State at Mississippi State. Uh, and then you got Alabama State, LSU, and UNC Asheville, Auburn. That'll be Wednesday slate. I would expect the SEC to get a clean slate there. And then you got East Carolina at Florida. Murray. This is a team South Carolina just beat this East Carolina team. But Florida should be able to handle some business at home. Let me go back. I was seeing when was – let's see. Let's look at this for a minute. Not that the standings matter. All right, so the Arizona there. Got you. All right, so I was looking at Alabama's case. So they create up Creighton Saturday, then Wednesday, Arizona. So – so it should be a good matchup. should be some great matchups coming up here. Hell, that Alabama stretch. That's it's freaking hellacious right there. Freaking hellacious. Uh, stop sharing there. All right. Time for me to give you my SEC basketball power rankings before we get you out of here. Here we go. All right. Already got some pretty good feedback already off these. Starting at 14th, Vanderbilt. Just. Took a loss to San Francisco last week. It's going to be on the struggle bus. It's going to be on the struggle bus. Yeah. Once they get some players back there, Jerry Stackhouse and his team always make some incremental improvement for sure. I expect that a little bit out of them. LSU, again, some of their fans commented they were just jacked. They weren't 14th. Just Matt McMahon, this team is not very good. They come in at 13th. I think this is where you get into the SEC from 12 to 1 could beat each other on a given day. That sounds crazy, but Georgia, solid team. I think Mike White in his second year has some scores. They're getting used to that uh, 
lineup, his rotation. I think they they could upset some teams, especially in Stegman this year. Missouri feel the same way. Outside of the Jackson State loss, they've gotten better since then. Battled Kansas, even though they took a double digit loss, but that was to be expected. Missouri's going to compete. They got a good coach in Dennis Gates. Florida, I mentioned Todd Golden still trying to figure out that lineup. Comes in at tenth. Number nine. South Carolina, only one loss, thought they had a mature win against East Carolina after dropping a game to their in-state rival, Clemson, that they probably thought they should have won. Number eight, Mississippi State coming in uh, at eight. I know some people, why are they not hard? They had a rough week two weeks ago, or a week but when they lost to Southern University and Georgia Tech, two not very good teams. And somebody be like, well, Georgia Tech beat Duke. Wasn't a good win for Mississippi State. For Mississippi State, solid news, though. Sounds like Tolu Smith has a big X-ray on Thursday. He's starting to shoot free throws, some jumpers. I bet he's back towards closer to the middle of SEC play, but it's positive news. Uh, keep an update. We maybe should have an update on Thursday's show, but reading Chris Jan's press conference is what I got. But number eight, after a big, big-time offensive outbreak on Saturday against Tulane with 106 points. Seventh, Arkansas. What, what is this team going to be like? Muss has got to figure it out. I just put them in the middle. I didn't really have a good feel. You could argue Mississippi State could be ahead of them. they got to get Trevon Brazil healthy, though. Muss has got to get the rotation and settle in, and they got to be able to start shooting better from the perimeter. Ole Miss, the only undefeated team coming in at sixth. Ole Miss Rebels, Chris Beard, only getting better each week. I remember watching them play Detroit Mercy, seeing Houston State. They just looked rough, but they keep getting better. They're the only SEC team to beat Memphis, a solid Memphis team that will be in the NCAA tournament. At UCF, that's another quad one, quad two win for them. It's a Big 12 opponent on the road. Chris Beard getting the most out of this team. Texas A&M coming, all, coming out at five. I know they dropped to Memphis. And some people may be, how are they not ahead of Ole Miss? Ole Miss is undefeated. They Ole Miss won the common opponent game against Memphis. A&M still a solid team. I don't like to go play in College Station if I was another SEC team. A&M's going to be tough at home again this year. They could struggle on the road, but I like them at fifth. Alabama. I think them in Kentucky, as you see Kentucky at second, we're not hiding anything, have the highest upsides out of teams in the SEC. But Alabama can figure the defense out at all, get it in that 60-70 range offense officially. I don't think this is a championship team for Alabama because you got to play some kind of defense. And you look back on Nate Oates' great teams, they always score, but his two best teams, the 2020-2021 team and 2022-2023 team last year, were top 10 in defensive efficiency. Still got to get stops. So I don't really like Alabama as a tournament team right now. They're going to make the tournament, I think. They need to get one of those next two against Creighton or Arizona, probably most likely Creighton on Saturday. But uh, I just don't know. I don't, I, Bama's got a high ceiling. I think this could be the best offensive team Oates has. So that's why I have them at four. Auburn, I think one of the deepest teams in the league. When they're playing well offensively, they're going to be tough to beat. And obviously, especially at home in the jungle, probably the toughest environment in the SEC, in my opinion, because it's it's so small and it's so compact around you, which I'm not even taking a shot at being small. It's probably what a lot of teams need. But Auburn, deep team, had an offensive outburst. Jalen Williams, Aiden Holloway. Auburn gets that. They had a chance maybe to finish in the top two, if not win the league. Kentucky, I think they have the highest upside, especially with Aaron Bradshaw coming back. Love the Cats at two. Big one against North Carolina this week. And I think Tennessee, highest floor team in the league, consistent. Adding Dalton Connect from an offensive standpoint has really helped the balls. They need to start getting Zakai Ziegler once he starts building more health, more trust in that knee coming off that ACL injury, getting Vescovy going. He's going to have his game at some point. Then factor in some of the like Jordan Ganey who transferred in too. I like that. Then obviously Josiah Jordan-James, Jonas Adu, guys like that, they'll filter that in. But I like Tennessee, again, highest floor in the league. But that is the Week 5 SEC basketball power rankings. And that is the entire show for you. So I appreciate you joining us 
on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. We covered a lot. We had 247 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, Cooper Patagna, who's had boots in the ground at multiple Power 5 programs. He's actually worked in it, worked in the day in the life of college football people, just like me, 10 years. Uh, had a great perspective with signing day just being over a week away. Talked portal, high school recruiting, some strategies he would use as a personnel guy if he was still in it. Uh, we talked around the SEC, talked every SEC program, coaching changes. Will Harris now at Florida, the secondary coach coming over from the Rams. We talked the big weekend it was in the SEC basketball, so-so. And then we finished up with the week five SEC basketball ranking. So we had a great episode to the point, a lot of information. Again, guys, it's easy. Go like and subscribe. We're on anywhere you get your podcast. Go tell us what you like. Tell us, send us questions. My number's at the bottom here, 205-792-6925. Send us questions, suggestions. I'm here for you. But again, I do appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. You have a fantastic night. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports. 